Hey humans, how's it going? Susan Ruth here. Thanks for listening to another episode of Hey Human Podcast. This is episode 101, and uh, the conversation took place in Schenectady, New York, when I went up to Union College last September. And I sat down with Dr. Deidre Hill Butler, and she is a fascinating woman. And it was interesting because she had a connection to Nashville. Um, she has done a lot of work with the communities that were displaced from the Nashville flood that happened here um, many years ago. It was a huge disaster here in Nashville. Um, so we talked about that a little bit. We talked about Afrofuturism, uh, gender equality and religion and gender. And um, man, it was just cool. I really dug it. Usual stuff. It's super helpful. If you guys go to iTunes and rate and review Hey Human, I know I say it every week, but every week um, somebody does it, and that's great. So I'm going to keep saying it, hoping that more and more people will um, take a few minutes and pop on the iTunes, and it's really, really helpful. Um, I am an ad-free podcast thus far, and um, I am keeping it that way as best I can, but um, support is great. Um, there's a support button on the Hey Human podcast website. And there's also an Amazon affiliate portal on the website um, there on the homepage. If you click on that portal and shop at Amazon like you normally would, and it helps a little bit helps back to Hey Human. So um, that'd be great if you do that. And social media, Hey Human podcast. And of course, I'm on Twitter, Susan Ruthism. And I'm working on getting the YouTube channel all put together. I have a YouTube channel that has been historically for my musical stuff, and there's just a few videos on there. Um, but I want to start adding more to it. And this episode in particular, when I was up at Union College, uh, Tyler Kane uh, videoed two of the podcasts that I did um, that did not have an audience, and another one that I did that did have an audience. So. Um, I'm going to get those up on the YouTube channel uh, so people can watch. And yeah, um, check out the links page on heyhumanpodcast.com because with every episode, uh, anything we talk about that seems to be of substance or perhaps a book or a movie or, or a product of something that will make life easier that we reference in the conversation, um, that's on that links page. And it's just a, it's a wealth of information at this point. There's so much stuff on the links page. It's pretty cool, as I think. I mean, <laughs> I, I put all that stuff on there, so I know it's on there. But, you know, someday when you're bored at work and you just feel like perusing, uh, go check that out. Deidre and I had uh, many things that we referenced in our conversation, and um, I will put a handful of those things up there on that links page. So it's a good thing to check out. Susan at HeyHumanPodcast.com. Feel free to reach out to me there. A lot of cool episodes and guests coming up. I'm really excited for you to hear all of that. And, uh, oh, I saw Ready Player One with my friend Ellen last week, and I really enjoyed it. It was a lot of fun. Um, a lot of pop culture references, things from childhood. Uh, I really, really enjoyed it. So two thumbs up from me for just a good time of a movie. Um... Yeah, so there you go. Little movie review, little information, and now on to the show. Thanks for listening, everybody. Here we go. 
Welcome, Professor Deidre Hill Butler. Yes. Thank you for being on Hey Human. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So I wrote it down. Associate Professor for Sociology, Affiliate Gender, Sexuality, Women's Studies, Africana and American Studies, and Sociology of Resilience. Yeah, that's what I write about, think about, um, how, to, how do black women keep striving in the midst of a lot of obstacles, mm -hmm. um, the intersections of race, class, gender, um, definitions of them that are limiting, how do they break those definitions, recreate their, their um, or reimagine themselves in places that they weren't supposed to be originally um, because of historical and political limitations. So I, I look at that in concrete ways. In regards to like being picked up from homelands and placed in places that they things like that, or even, I know you've done work with the flood, national flood. Yeah. Um, Is well, it more localized to things? Some like things are local. I, um, well, I guess I can start, a lot of my, I'm into stories. I mm -hmm. like to, I'm an ethnographer. Mm -hmm. I like to hear and understand how people see themselves and organize to make social change. So I, I did a project earlier in my career where I um, met with black women who were affiliated with the Black Baptist Church okay. um, in New England, mm -hmm. in the Boston area. And I just wanted to, to make their lives visible because often you think about black religious women, it's a southern context. Mm -hmm. um, you don't think about black people historically in the New England area. And then even, often you don't think about them building networks and relationships that are longstanding. And so doing a study where people told their stories, their family genealogies, how they connect with other people, build friendships, navigate working um, in places that are hostile to them, mm -hmm. um, surviving and thriving through sexual assault and abuse um, as domestic workers, um, being the first in various careers. So the study, it was embedded in, in church life because that's where they felt the most vibrant and appreciated, mm -hmm. but it showed that they made a lot of networks over time that were important to them and contributing to the community for the for themselves and at large. So that was like early on dissertation work. Mm. And then I've always done work where I see my my life reflected in the political and I made a choice to partner with someone who had children from a previous relationship and became a, a stepmother. Mm. And usually the idea about being a stepmother is a sinister evil type of connotation, you see that in media, literature, sure. in literature, yeah. Cinderella, all yeah. these different things. Yeah. And that wasn't my experience. Mm -hmm. So I ended up saying, okay, this is, my experience is, is, is very different. Let me see if there are other black women who are in their similar family structures and see how they navigate their family life. And the tra a traditional theme with black families is to care for people who aren't biologically your own, mm -hmm. to have this other mother vibe. Mm -hmm. And a lot of us stepped into being a stepmother in that way. Mm -hmm. And so I'm countering like the, the Cinderella by doing something culturally that's, a, that's close to me. And the other women were expressing the same thing. So I ended up meeting and building a survey and contacting over 100 women who had this ethic that's culturally grounded mm -hmm. in African-American um, knowledge of wanting to care for and be really important in the lives of their partners and their, their children. And 
So I ended up writing, I'm writing a book about that mm. and talking about how media depicts black women who portray the role of, of stepmothers um, as well as getting the stories themselves. And a lot of it, they often talked about their faith being the essential part of trying to say, I want to counter the stereotype of being seen as negative mm-hmm. when I care for it. I'm an important, an important part of children that I didn't birth. Right. Um, and so they would talk about wanting to build friendships with other women who were mothers that cared, either biologically or not, and building newer networks for them to deal with some opposition that happens um, when society tells you that your role isn't really important. So it seemed to be this triangle effect that I kept on seeing in different places, either people in a religious setting, in a community that they're not acknowledged, New England Baptist women, and then seeing in a role of being in a family where you want to care and it's you get pushback for that, so being a stepmother. And then, interestingly enough, early in my career, I went to college. I'm from the north and went down south. So I went to Nashville for school. Um, my father graduated from Fisk University. He spoke highly of it constantly. And I wanted to experience Southern life. So I, I arrived there in the late 80s and just loved the city. Mm-hmm. Um, ended up transferring, going other places, but kept in contact with people. And then when I saw this flood on TV mm-hmm. in 2010, I was wondering, what happened to some of my friends that are living there? What's going on with the city? How has it changed 20-plus years later? Mm-hmm. And saw that gentrification was happening, and where were the voices of um, change and resilience and how were people organizing to maintain their communities or be open to bridging and starting new mm-hmm. and renewing community? Mm-hmm. Um, so I contacted friends of mine. Did They contacted more friends. People wanted to be recorded and, and have their stories known. The mayor at the time asked for community members to come out and tell their stories about the flood, and the public library created a digital archive mm-hmm. of stories. But not a lot of black residents came out to tell their stories to be in the digital archive. So the interviews that I did, I ended up partnering with the public library, so they're part of their digital archive. And we got more stories from families and individuals from the Bordeaux and North Nashville area. Mm-hmm. A few, but it contributed to a larger number. Mm-hmm. So I feel like that that was important. And at the same time, they're mostly women who were talking about how they connected and organized to rebuild residential associations. So there was a dormant Bordeaux uh, Residential Neighborhood Association mm. that became revived. It got, active um, again. got active again. There are people who said, oh, I'm not really an activist or I'm not really um, that visible in the community, but I feel my faith is pushing me to organize and get resources to my, to my neighbors. And yeah. so because of their faith and their sense of resilience and their actions, they, re- they started rebuilding their community and welcoming or at least connecting with newcomers, sure. particularly in Bordeaux. Um, when the floods hit, um, it was really interesting. A lot of the churches came together. Yes, they did. And um, we gathered up you know, food and water and all this stuff. And, and I remember driving through some of the neighborhoods that were just decimated. I mean, these are people who, in every sense of the word, they, they lost everything they owned. Their yes. houses were destroyed. And you could drive down the street. It was weird because some blocks, houses were fine, and the very next block, completely totaled. In the same neighborhoods. Same neighborhoods, yeah. And people had everything they owned piled up outside, a mess on the yard. And um, what was fascinating to me 
and lovely was this, this sense of joy. I don't know if that comes from losing everything and then um, having that be a freedom in its own right, but I was so astonished. It was beautiful to right. see that these people who had truly lost everything, every except for what they had on, yes. um, were coming together so lovingly, helping neighbor to neighbor, people they may not have ever spoken with. Yes. Um, and that was that was cool. Yes. Was and across cool. racial bounds. Oh, 100%. Um, yeah. Uh, various neighborhoods that maybe not a lot of interaction was taking place. Sure. Those bounds were broken and then reconfigured. Um, that sense of joy, I think, that you observed came from a sense of knowing that the material wasn't the important thing. Right. It right. creates the tribe again. Yes. The tribe, we, we isolate so frequently in, within our own pods, our own homes, or right. our own social circles, that when events like this, any kind of tragedy, it, it awakens our tribe. Right. And then we see each other not as other, but as this... As similar. Yeah. 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 And it was important. Like, So what, what happened with part of my project was I just asked people if they'd share the photos they had taken mm. the days after mm-hmm. the flood. And then five years later, looked at spatially what parts of Bordeaux were renovated. So different parks were rebuilt, um, different buildings, different uh, institutions, churches, what have you, mm-hmm. in the community were rebuilt. And particularly the public library that was the the branch in Bordeaux was redone. Yeah. And so I ended up having photos, community photos, exhibited in that branch yeah. from people who lived in the neighborhood. And it was the first exhibit of the new oh, well. reopened branch, wow. the Bordeaux branch. And so we ended up having a reception opening where people from the community came and wanted to tell more stories and show more pictures. And so I ended up meeting more people to interview and talk with. and. They were just like, why are you even interested in talking with us? I was like, because I feel like I'm connected. Right. Yeah, because through friendship and relationship, I think it's important that we are, um, that your stories are told. Yeah. And the neighborhood isn't going to look the same. Five, it doesn't look the same from five years ago. It's mm-hmm. not, you know, five years from now. And we it's talked great about to that. chronicle that. It is, it is, as you walk around Nashville with places where the flood impacted the most, and there... There was definitely an, an integration. There were families from all different races, and people just functioned together. And they came in. You know, the the powers that be. They got there was a lot of money shoveled in to fix right. um, the destruction, and these houses came back up. And suddenly, people who lived there formerly couldn't afford to live there because right. they became ex- extravagantly right. priced. And right. and as things happen. The people who can't afford those kind of homes get in the right. gentrification, right. which out. they get pushed out. So now these these vibrant communities um, have become rather pasty with the <laughs> with the well, I mean, you know, with the hipster East Nashville, yeah, and yeah, yeah. and it's <sighs> yeah. I have a good friend who still owns her home. Um, actually, she was a classmate of mine, and now she's a professor at at Fisk. She people just walk up to her. Um, she lives around the corner from Oprah Winfrey's father, uh-huh. um, from or the, from his barber shop. Yeah, his barber shop. Yeah, sure. and you know, I'll give you three hundred. I'll give you three fifty. Just walk cash if you want to leave. It's just it's a constant thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's there's that there's that component. I mean, I I'm hopeful that there 
there seems to be so many different community conversations mm-hmm. about who has access to what resources mm-hmm. that with the boom of growth in that city, mm-hmm. um, voices that were traditionally not heard right. will be heard. Because there's so many grassroots efforts for that to happen. Yeah, I do feel the communication is there. Mm-hmm. Um, I just hope it's not falling on deaf ears. Is Okay, you know, I understand. Yeah. Because traditionally that's... That's what happens. That's what's and talk is fantastic. I mean, right. the conversation... Where's the action? It's action. It's the action. That's the important thing. Right. So, I mean, with the different groups, the residential um, associations that I worked with, I went to different meetings and saw the elected officials, mm-hmm. um, council women and men would come and talk, and community members would have these conversations. But the next steps, it's interesting to see. How's that going to unfold into policy? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, five years from now, what will, what will it look like? I, I don't... I don't know. I mean, the boom is just so, it's, it's, it's extravagant of what's happening. Yeah, it is. Tribe, to me, is such a fascinating thing because I do think that, unfortunately, we are drawn to that which looks familiar and feels familiar. Totally. It gives us a sense of ourselves. Totally. But um, it, I think it's so limiting. There's so much to learn from other cultures and and just another voice. And the more that this happens where people get displaced and shoved into these little corners and pockets, we're losing such rich history. It happens with the elderly. It happens with people of color. Mm -hmm. You know, and I just... It's it's an interesting balance. There's something to be said about having your enclave. Or your or your tribe. Mm-hmm. Um, there's diversity even within that. Because mm-hmm. what I what I've learned about Bordeaux, there are people that lived there pre 1980s, mm-hmm. 1960s. So communities after desegregation and the city was making changes in the 60s, mm-hmm. people moved out. They were middle class. The doctors, the lawyers, the graduates of Fisk, TSU, mm-hmm. moved out to Bordeaux. They're like Bordeaux Hills, you know, single family homes, uh, middle and upper class. Yeah. But by the 1980s, there was a different class of people moving. They had different um, apartments, so they had a different income level. And the older guard didn't really know the younger, the newer guard of people when the flood hit. Sure. Th- so that transformed, even within this enclave, you would think, oh, it's, it's black people in this area. You saw a class divide being cracked a little bit mm-hmm. um, with more conversations and, and resources being shared. So that was important. But the change in the next five years will be, are the middle-class whites, you mentioned the hipster, East Nashville, coming out to Bordeaux because you have the highway that gets you into the city pretty easily. And that was seen kind of as like an urban suburb in a way. And is that going to change as the city gets smaller because of um, the spiraling of growth? It's growing so quickly. So it'll be interesting to see. So that, that tribe is diverse even when it's an enclave of people who seem to look like each other. Mm. There's a lot of um, differences happening. Mm-hmm. Um, so the growth of people coming to Nashville uh, for various reasons, there are some people who've been there for four or five generations, they have a different take on that, on mm-hmm. the, who are these strangers, sure. you know, who are these people coming, sure. and then how we build, how do we build trust? So in a way, the gift of the flood was people who maybe didn't even know each other, even the event that I had at the... Um, the public library for the opening. Mm-hmm. There were people who didn't know each other that came to the event, wanted to tell, talk with me, mm-hmm. but at, we made it more, they were talking to each other about, you know, because they were a block or two apart and it were impacted in different ways. They could share and talk about resources and community building. And ha- where's the next meeting? What can we do the next time 
to, to support a new residential community um, association and, and build it. So I felt like I ended up being um, a way, a conduit mm. for people to, to, to meet and greet and learn from each other. Sure. Um, so as an as a academic, I think there's a role there um, to be that, that middle person, especially seeing myself as a black feminist who, who cares about community mm. and community building and, and the wellness of people within the in communities and seeing community as not something stagnant, right? Um, that you're in one location. We're, we're multifaceted people. So I can be a person who lives in upstate New York but cares about sure. Tennessee because uh, there are connections there because I have relationships there. Yeah. There was a reason why I brought the same or similar exhibit, the Nashville exhibit, to the college like a year later for about six months, the pictures were up um, in the our school library here. So I was just talking about these different communities and images that we have about black communities, especially during the Black Lives Matter mm-hmm. era now, where m- most of the images that are shown uh, mass media-wise are about the marches or about black bodies on the street bleeding for two and three hours, black male bodies, and it's a negative connotation. Mm-hmm. But to talk about community building building um, connections that of change to say that we are multifaceted people, right? Yeah. And that that needs to be understood. And we can really challenge racist ideologies by showing images of ourselves in our daily lives that are vibrant and contributory. I think right? that's such an incredibly poignant thing to say because mm-hmm. our media shapes us. And the, on average, people watch, what, seven hours of right. television a day or right, something right. insane? I don't know if that's right. I mean, it's a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, Studies it's, back you up. I'm yeah, it's, it's a placating mechanism, and it's also um, it's propagandist, right? You're, you're being fed information constantly, mm-hmm. even by the regular TV shows. Right, right, right. Um, so it is, it is a really valid point that the more the media will portray the good but the good doesn't serve right and that's that's the problem is you almost have to scream louder about the good stuff right even though it's far more prevalent that's not to say that uh absolutely there are bodies piling up that and that is inexcusable but there's a lot of really wonderful outreach like you were saying and, and goodness going on and i wish that that was also yeah. At the center of of the propaganda machine, right, 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 right. because I think it begets itself. When people see violence, it begets violence, right? It, it makes people angry and all that, and right, as right. it as it would, just as joy does. Right. You can't walk around somebody who's smiling or laughing, and not laugh and smile right, yourself, right. even if you don't know them, even if you don't right. know what the story is. Right. So that right. if the that, joy, the joy conquers the trauma, right? Yeah, the joy. Um, conquers the devastation and that devastation could be individual or it could be a community that's gone through major strife right right so it goes back to that point of how do we construct um, communities that are more uplifting Mm. you know supportive of each other Mm -hmm. it starts with just interacting in positive ways and seeing yourself in a positive light Mm -hmm. Um, and however that's defined just showing people that are undergirding and supporting each other for mutual respect, to see yourself in your full humanity and not kept in boxes of these labels that are severely draining, right? Mm-hmm. And we've, we've kind of had enough of that. So I'm, I come from a very post 
I believe postmodern lens, I'm very hopeful. I mean, I feel like I'm an optimist at heart. Um, I see the best and the good in people. And I think the work and the work I seek out tries to see that. And that comes from just my own faith base of saying, you know, there, there has to be better. We have mm-hmm. to do better and mm-hmm. treat each other better. Mm-hmm. And I think I seek out spaces where I see better. And that it has that um, manifested. So it's constantly, you know, I see community, but I also see the individuals in the community trying to come together to say, what's just, what's right, you know, and, and having some moral compass mm-hmm. and, and being um, inclusive about what, how you define your sense of self and your sense of spirituality, you know, because I think the spiritual really is embedded in all of us yeah. and that we see each other and want to be connected with each other. Right. Um, so that's kind of the, the, the definitions of resilience come from seeing each other as as um, connected and important. Mm-hmm. Okay. I just wish that we could, you know, we come together as a whole during tragedy. It would be lovely if, in fact, we could come together as a whole during hope and joy and love. Yeah. And, yeah, you know, and that the, the news, instead of saying, oh, this, you know, black guy robbed a liquor store and was shot dead, they say, hey, this black guy is... is helping to get water to, you know, to clean water here or is, you know, helping to bring books to kids or, you know, it's always this negative cells, unfortunately, which is so bizarre to me because I think as human beings, we want to feel good, don't we? I mean, don't we want to feel like things are getting better? And yet it's, it's like a drug or something where you've got this slow morphine-esque drip of chaos and then if it things look a little good, I don't know if we feel glib about it or so. I'm I'm not really sure right, right. what the story is there, but and it's interesting. I mean, the role of media with that, you can put out the positive. You can we have so many array of choices. Yes, right. And there seems to be a leaning towards the negative in mass media. Mm-hmm. But I'm optimistic there too about you know um, being independent. Um, doing projects like this and others where yeah. you can just show different... Spread the joy. Uh, spread the joy, yeah. have different perspectives, and I think your your tribe will find you mm. in regards to saying, I, I want to gravitate towards that. I want to yeah. see these different stories. Yeah. So we have to you know, do the work, keep um, having people exposed or give them opportunities to see varying, uh, sometimes surprising ways that we are interacting and, and being very connected with each other. Yeah. Um, I, I, I think the, the route I do it is within the academy and teaching courses that um, constantly look at the history and the contemporary situations of black people in a general sense, but mm-hmm. then also you know black women specifically. But I keep that broad, mm-hmm. right? And then I use examples um, that are current and, and sometimes historical mm-hmm. of how people strive through struggle um, and oftentimes needing their support of their communities and communities defined in broader ways, not just you know racially or in a gendered mm-hmm. lens. So even mm-hmm. within um, even within looking at the intersections of race and gender, it's broader than than that. That's why I really loved working with Robin Reed in the library here with this Afrofuturism exhibit. Because Afrofuturism is about reimagining human contact you know, from a black cultural lens. And so that cultural, that black cultural lens is historical, but it's also retooling and saying, you know, what do we look like? How do we define blackness now so we can see ourselves in the future 
because oftentimes when you think about sci-fi or um, future conditions, you don't see people of color mm. in that realm. Mm-hmm. So to, to have art and music and films, we have this film coming out uh, next month, Black Panther, that people are really excited about. Yeah, Because it's just the aesthetic. Yeah. It's so affirming of blackness in a broad way, but there's some concrete lenses because you see historical affinities with Africa and the diaspora, but then you see leadership and the merging of technology in the future with black folk. And even so, black superhero. Oh, I mean, totally. the, we, when we, again, back to media, we mirror all the time, right? I say this all yes. the time. And so when you're a small black kid growing up looking at the television and all your, all the heroes are white, what do you, I mean, I'd, I'd think that there must be some sort of, yes. not being black, I can't really speak to it exactly, right. but in, philosophically speaking right. you want to see yourself represented you in, in the places where you go and yeah. you know and then and if you're all constantly being told that oh they're always the bad guy right then what is that right. doing it has an for your for your psyche it's, right. it's, it's, right. so it's exciting for me to see that movie and hopefully more to follow where right. there are these strong powerful heroes right that are, they're serving their their community and others yes. um, in a broad uh, spectrum of humanity. It's exciting. Um, so you don't need maybe even not, better if he had been a woman. Uh, exactly. <laughs> you know that's that's coming though. I think yeah. that's coming. What's interesting? Um, another point that's important to me is you. So you may not see yourself in in media in all different kinds. That's changing slowly but surely. Sure. But the spaces where you often did you did feel affirmed like church spaces, mm-hmm. um, like your community. Sure. Those places in a pre-postmodern world were where you saw your role models and your your sense of self. And maybe those are fragile or changing. You know, the people don't go to communal settings to worship as much anymore. Uh, at least the younger generation doesn't. Or you live in communities that are more diverse. You don't, you don't really see yourself. Media ends up being that a place where you kind of resource yourself to say, I want to see who I am. So that even makes films like The Black Panther, television shows like Black Lightning, um, just seeing, um, liking comic books that have characters that look like you or seeing characters that are in uh, a multicultural setting. So you have friends that may not Mm -hmm. be with you or look like you, but you have that affinity and that support that's important. That's an ongoing ongoing process. So we're in the midst of a lot of flux. That's what culture is. It's never stagnant. Right. You can't define it in one in sure. one way. So we see it spatially with communities shifting and who's living where and what resources are, are there. But I'm optimistic that if your stories are told and you're in the place, right, you're there saying this is what's important to me and, and the people I'm connected with, uh, you have to fight for that. Mm-hmm. There's striving and struggle. But in the end, you'll, 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 you'll be appreciated in some in some way, in right. some way that's important. Do you find, especially as a as a teacher, mm-hmm. you know, as a professor, do you find that? So as you're moving around the various church groups, obviously there's a strong faith mm-hmm. in the room. So as the young people are coming up and you're 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 shaping young minds, are you finding that? Uh, religion plays a part in in the youth that's coming up since you have this window to all of that or is there more of an atheist bent coming up I mean there's there's a mix there's a mix but there seems to be a growth there's a respect for humanity there's a respect for being valued Mm -hmm. and it gets 
it gets affirmed in various ways. Mm -hmm. So you, so the students here may not ask where do you, where do you go to church, but they want to be in a communal setting where they're appreciated, right? So that setting may be a, a community, uh, a breaking bread meals together. Mm -hmm. You know, having that as a common ritual. Well, or it could be actually going, getting a van from the school and going to one of the local churches in the area, um, or just trying to have class, choosing classes where there's small sizes and their their voices are heard. There's that constant need to be connected and and valued, mm -hmm. and so it manifests in different ways. That uh, what we then we have traditional ways. There's a gospel. Um, gospel choir group that has grown exponentially. There are like 30 students in the in the group and 10 years ago there were five. And they came from having that as a part of their tradition and they want to continue that in college. Mm -hmm. But then we have an interfaith group. So there's students who are atheists and agnostics. They're, they're connecting and dealing with social issues that are, um, that are Buddhist or Christian, inclusive Christian or not, you know, different perspectives. And that's important. Mm -hmm. So I, I think it's like in flux, but you see different pockets. It's not just one way, and that's respected. It's not just tolerated here. I think it's respected and that's encouraged to just, what is your sense of meaning? Who do you, who you are, especially developmentally kids? I mean, young adults who are 18 to 22, 23, they're changing, right? They're, sure. They're Finding figuring their out who boys, they are. Who they you are. Know, yeah. Young adults in their 40s are changing and trying to figure out who they are. It's, 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 it's a common thing. Yeah. But, um, you know, finding that niche of where you're valued is really important. So it intertwines with feeling valued, seeing that there's some unjustness in, mm. in your world, mm -hmm. and getting your posse or your tribe with you mm -hmm. to say, let's, let's challenge that. Yeah. Let's, make, let's, let's, let's make some change. And then you get the strength to do that because you feel connected and supported from the people that you, um, that you work with. I mean, we had, on Martin Luther King Day, mm -hmm. we had a social justice march. So we walked from the library to the center of campus, holding signs, where people were self-identified as, um, you know, thanking Dr. Martin Luther King or saying, you know, I'm part of the LGBTQI community and I thank Dr. King or I, I want to be your friend, hi, my name is. I mean, there's different signs that people wrote to show that there's different issues, but we're coming together to appreciate sure. each other. And then we ended up in the knot and students who went on a civil rights mini-term, mm -hmm. so they went to southern cities, Charleston, Birmingham, Memphis, New Orleans, looked at historical public history museums and locations that were really iconic in the civil rights era, but they made so many connections to today, saying, okay, th those are struggles that are perceived to be in the past, but we still need the full um, hope and destiny of all human beings to be recognized. Mm -hmm. So immigration issues and, and um, other controversial topics were brought up, but you see a legacy that's it's all there. And then focusing on... Uh, important leader like Dr. Martin Luther King, who was inclusive and respected all humanity, but came from a religious base, there was that connection um, there too that wasn't like, if you, if you don't believe, you can't be a part. It was very like, get to know each other, let's see what's happened in the past, and see how we can mm -hmm. galvanize and work together in the future. Mm -hmm. So there's certain events and there's certain times when people do come together to just say, you know, I see you. Yeah. You're important. You John know, you're Lewis here. is good at that, too. John Lewis we love. He was uh, our commencement so speaker awesome. here in 2010, I believe. Yeah. And um, I got a chance to meet him at a reception. And he turned. He was standing by himself for some reason. And I said, hi. And he was like, oh. I said, thank you for your work. 
And he yeah. said, thank you. He's like, you weren't even born. I was like, no, I was not. I was even, not even thought of when you spoke on the, at the March on Washington. But I just thank you so much. Yeah. And I hugged him. I, I couldn't, I think I hugged him to, you know, too much. I just wouldn't hey. let him go. <laughs> he was so humble and so He's gracious. Yeah. And um, you're at, right. So because of that civil rights mini term, the professor who coordinated that contacted him and arranged mm. for him to be our commencement speaker. So I, ca- I call that as one of my iconic times of being at Union. And the second time is when we had Dr. Maya Angelou oh. speak here. Oh, um, yeah. And I had the privilege of meeting her and introducing her to the campus community and just sitting down with her. And my grandmother had recently passed. Um, but the exchange, I just felt like be, sitting with her was like sitting with my grandmother again, the same age, but just that whole milieu. And she, um, during her opening remarks, she thanked me for introducing her. But then she kind of said, well, I have family members in the Schenectady area. And this is my first time ever being invited here. So she, so she was like kind of getting at us for not inviting her before. That's but funny. she, just her poetry and her words yeah. were inspiring to all. Yeah. And people, we, we was a fire hazard. People couldn't get into the space. They were just trying to clamor to meet her. What I love about her uh, is uh, I have a, a framed uh Phenomenal woman. Yes. She signed to me yes. on, on my wall at home, and I read it all the time. Yes. As a reminder, what I love about her voice is she's like, you be as big and as bright and as whatever you are, yes. and it's beautiful. And yes. that's such, as a female, yes. you know, that's such a, because we're constantly, if you're too loud or you're this, yes. you're, you know, men don't. Be, are not fed those messages the no, same they're way at all. They're they're triumphant. They're bold. And yes. women are, you know, harpy and yes. you know, all the stuff. Yes. So it's just it's a nice reminder. Totally. Know. I mean, that was our exchange. She was like, "How are they?" She took my arm. We're sitting close like we are, and she's she's like, "Doctor Butler, how are they treating you here?" And it was this moment we locked eyes, and I was like, "It's it's okay," you know, and. It, it's just okay. And at that point in my career here, it was just okay. Because it's tough. I'm the first um, black woman tenured here at Union College. Wow, um, I'm not the, I, be, I was the only on the faculty mm-hmm. for the majority of my time here. Um, but there was like-mindedness with other faculty members, affirmation of the courses I was teaching, but still a lot of struggle. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, and she. Growth is hard. Growth is hard. She, but it was a moment of affirmation from her as this elder, yes. elder mother. Yes. That's how I really perceived our moments together. It was yeah. like, you. She, 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 had, she was like, I got your back. I understand what you've gone through or going through, and you'll be okay just from that brief exchange. Yeah. So, it's been, so there's been moments where you just get affirmed yeah. by the people that you meet. Um, so the John Lewis and Maya Angelou, but I've had dynamic students that have encouraged me. And sure. It's been, it's been good. Sure. It's been good. That's so lovely. Um, you said something uh, a little while back. Uh, you, you referred to yourself as black feminist. Yes. And, and so I'd love to know what does being a feminist mean to you, and then how is that then one step along the black feminist, what that means is versus... You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's intertwined. It's not either or. Okay. You know, yeah. feminism is about your voice. Right. It's about your collective nature. It's about challenging patriarchy, mm. right? So women or and human beings, are, their full humanity is respected, understood, claimed, right? Um, understanding that history of struggle 
but then seeing the celebration and connection of um, who we are and the breadth of who we are. Mm. So I interchanged my feminist lens with my womanist lens. That's mm. another, because that womanist, being a womanist is like you're culturally embedded in African diaspora cultural norms that you, that you celebrate, just ways of knowing, seeing yourself that you love other women of color, and particularly black women. You, you do, but you also see alliances with others. So you know that there's that mark, but it's not limited by race or class or mm, gender. Mm-hmm. Try to strive towards building community wherever you are and listening, right, and interacting, respecting other people. So in a manifested way, I mean, I, I'm involved with certain groups and connections, but just from my soul, I feel being, defining myself as a black feminist or womanist scholar, activist, mother, all these different labels, partner, it's all engaged with who I am, but how I see the world. That optimism comes from those term, terms and those connections that I've made through my journey. Right? I, I wouldn't be where I am if I didn't have people connected to me, praying for me, supporting me, encouraging me all along the way. And a lot of my role models and a lot of the people that supported me didn't look like me. Mm-hmm. Right, So I've, I've used or been with my community, but I've always built bridges. Right, You have to do that in this, in this world. So a quick definition, you know, black feminism, black womanism, feminism in general is really challenging the limits that society places on human beings, right? We want to have a just world. We want um, power dynamics to be egalitarian and supportive. How does that get manifested with healthcare? How does it get manifested in the, in the media's, media's images of who we are? Mm-hmm. Needs to be challenged, you know, in the workplace, in all different settings. Mm-hmm. It's an ongoing struggle, right? Do we ever get to that beloved community that Dr. King talks about? It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a process, right? It may not be an end definition or a place. Yeah, beautiful. I'm curious, so the Black Lives Matter movement, yes. why, and even the kneeling movement, why do you think it is that, for example, the Black Lives Movement, they, they said, oh, people that are for that movement are against, you know, there's always that, that rhetoric, and even with Colin taking the knee, which, uh, how anyone can bastardize that and turn that into being unpatriotic because right, right. of the anthem. Actually, is, it's extremely patriotic. It's, it's, a, it's 100% to count it. It's to, count it, to make sure that democracy is functioning for all. For all, And yes. actually, when you look at black experiences or marginalized groups' experiences, it challenges the tight, cohesive idea of what democracy is supposed to look like. So it ends up being, um, it's strengthening at least from a, a nationalistic, American mm-hmm. nationalistic perspective, who we say we are. We yeah. say we're land of the free, home of the brave, and then you're chastising, yes. you're marking, you're um, dislocating large groups of people. Yes. Historically and, and in contemporary times, that needs to be challenged. That be, that's part of the process. Yeah. It shouldn't be negated. Just because you may have privilege and power doesn't mean that all does. Yeah. And so that social consciousness is one that makes you see, okay, I may have this, but who doesn't? Who's but it not shows at the you table? how powerful the media is and able yes. to, to change the dialogue because right. it went from this is somebody who has a voice, right. and that frustrates me too when people are like, oh, sports people and famous people and, and all these people shouldn't talk about politics. They're the very ones who should speak about right. politics because right. they they are the ma- they right. are for the masses. Right. They Everyone is listening. 
If not them, then who? If right. they can't use their position and their power for good, then who? Right. And some of them don't want that position. Sure. Um, but, but there's a long history of, of black athletes um, using their, their privilege and their positions of, of influence to call for social action. Yeah. Because um, I understand that they, they're in positions that people will listen to them. Sure. And they, they, they use the stereotype of the black athlete in a way that benefits not just themselves, but... You know, acknowledges their hard work, but also the communities right. where they come from. So I, I think that but it's always vilified. It's isn't always it? vilified because it's a challenge of yeah. the norm, uh, the norm right. and how um, racist ideologies and practices are really embedded in in the American culture overall. Um, and you do take a personal hit for that. But I think uh, Colin Kaepernick was very aware. He has he has a tribe with them now, or he, he has support. He's It's part of the strategy. He's a superhero. For me, I think that I there is a great example of a superhero that that young children can look to. I agree. Yeah. It, it's it, and what, a real one, not one that's written into a script. Exactly, one that's living right here, similar yeah. to Lee to the John Lewis situation. They John did a, Lewis is absolutely a they superhero. Did a comic, <laughs> yeah, they did comic books. He's at Comic Con wearing his yeah. trench coat and backpack books. from the Civil Rights Movement to say kids need to realize yeah. and young adults and even adults because most of the people that read graphic novels are adults. Yeah. <laughs> they, yeah. they see him and superhero yes. uh, mentality. The March Trilogy, for those of you listening uh please i, yes. I highly recommend, recommend it. it yeah get it it's fantastic right. also have tissues on hand because you will <laughs> cry i cried at least exactly <laughs> yeah so yeah just using so again using media in a way to show different depictions and what's a superhero right yeah. it's the people that are ch- making those challenges and those changes on a constant basis yeah. and collaborating connecting with others it, it sounds a little um lofty but we can make change in your own wherever your own way for colin kaepernick taking a knee was his way yes what what's your way what are you doing in your way to say this, that you're connected to exactly my podcast yeah this is my way yeah um i guess being a, a a scholar is mine yes and a community member that's engaged and caring is mine because usually scholars just care about working on their books and everything but the academy kind of tries to keep you isolated. I can't function like that as a black feminist scholar. I have to be connected to the communities that I'm writing about, talking with. It's just, it's 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 who I am, but it's the way I do my do my work. Yes. And so there's there's trials and tribulations with that because the institution may not respect um, the community work, but I have to do it because that's how I got here. That's who I am. Thank God. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm just. There's so many questions. No, right, I, I, I know. This is great. I'm just. Where? What's happening next? So you have a book coming out that you're working on. I'm working on the book about the, the stepmothers, and then it's actually it's interviews, and then it's media depictions. So looking at a lot of 1990s TV shows had some stepmoms in there, and like coding, examining those for representations. Mm-hmm. So that's a book that's coming out next year. Um, what's another project? There was the, the Afrofuturism Project. That's working cool. on an article for that. Um, then I'm doing a project about prints, a collected <gasps> volume um, for the Journal of uh, African American Studies. We're mm-hmm. doing a, um, a collection of people talking about prints and his healing mm-hmm. abilities through his music mm-hmm. and the lyrics and mm-hmm. just the um, the structure of the music that he did, mm-hmm. uh, or it still does. I mean, still with us. Mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. 
So working, collaborating with some other um, people who appreciate his art mm-hmm. on that. And he's a good example of um, uh, an activist and a... Uh, he did a lot of stuff anonymously. So he didn't use his totally fame, did. but he used his, his, his financial power. Yes, he did. Especially fueling um, some of the early Black Lives Matter. Mm-hmm. Endeavors he gave, and money. I don't think people know a lot about no, that. No, so. no. Who was in detail? Van Jones was talking about how he was a, like a middle person mm-hmm. to get resources to certain families mm-hmm. and things like that using Prince's another resources. superhero. Another superhero. Yeah. So yeah, that's it. that's what's on tap for me right now. So the book, um, Afrofuturism work, Prince. Well, I'm gonna um, put it's links it. on heyhumanpodcast.com of any anything you want people to to get sure. into. Just email me; I'll put all the links up. Will do. Doctor Hill Butler, you are awesome. <laughs> I am so happy that there are people like you, you know, out there in the world and and spreading knowledge and powerful thought. It Thank makes you. me very. Happy. I appreciate this conversation. Yeah. It's great to share. Thanks for being on Hey Human. You're welcome. Yeah. Bye, everybody.